Welcome to the Pitbox Podcast. I'm John Satori. The Bahrain Grand Prix is going to be remembered for all the right reasons, and it's not because Lewis Hamilton got a, another win on his uh, record-breaking spree. It's not going to be because Alex Albon got a podium, and he's definitely going to need that in order to, to keep his seat at Red Bull this year. It's because Roman Grosjean was able to walk away from an absolutely horrific accident, a fireball. We haven't seen something like that since the 70s. And that's because of the work of people like Sir Jackie Stewart, uh, Professor Sid Watkins, Charlie Whiting, uh, in their uh, quest to make F1 safer. Uh, We're going to be talking more about that and, of course, what's been happening during the week. Lots of announcements uh, with James Underhay and previewing, of course, this weekend's Sakia Grand Prix. Yeah, so let's kick it off with a quick look at this weekend, the Sakir Grand Prix. It's going to be interesting. Uh, just uh, 11 corners. It's the shortest on the calendar for this year. It wouldn't uh, be the shortest ever um, in a normal year either. Uh, not that we'd be running it in a normal year. Monaco is 3.3 kilometers long, and uh, this is 3.5. So it's uh, yeah, in, in that region. Just two DRS zones. Uh, they've dropped the one on the main straight. That's understandable considering the lap is going to be uh, in race conditions. Race fuel like about 60 seconds and in qualifying, what, 55, 56 seconds? That's going to be an incredible lap. The other thing to remember is that it's a the pit stop uh, loss here. Uh, is That doesn't change. 23.8 seconds. That's, that's nearly half the lap. <laughs> Um, so strategists are um, are really going to be tested this weekend. They will have to do a lot. I mean, they have to think on their feet, you know, um, <laughs> a huge amount anyway, and and, and quickly. This weekend is uh, it's going to be even more so. Uh, just the two DRS zones, so one less than last week. Um, yeah, the uh, DRS zones three down to four, and what is now the new nine down to ten, which is the old back straight, if you will. Um, and what the numbers on the on the old uh, on the old layout with thirteen down to fourteen, and this week it's uh, nine down to ten. So yeah, an incredibly rapid lap. George Russell, who's now going to be driving uh, a Mercedes, said it was going to be bonkers. It's going to be a bonkers weekend for him overall. Uh, we're going to cover all those uh, announcements and all that news and, and everything that happened last weekend. Uh, shortly, I've got uh, James Underhay waiting in the wings. Um, but it's the 48th individually titled Grand Prix. Uh, we've had a few this year, haven't we? Emilia Romana, uh, the Eiffel Grand Prix, which is normally the German or the Nürbe- uh, or the European Grand Prix. We've had the Styrian Grand Prix, the Anniversary Grand Prix, a Tuscany Grand Prix. Uh, and uh, here's another one, the uh, Sakia Grand Prix. And, it, it, you know, really, it's it's great to have these final three races. I, I know that, you know, the, the mechanics and the, the support teams, the guys and girls right up and down the grid have been, you know, they don't like the triple headers and completely understandable, but at least this one, I suppose, they haven't had to pack up on the Sunday night. They've no doubt had a couple of days off. They don't have to build up the garages on a Tuesday and, you know, rebuild the cars on the Wednesday. I mean, they'll be doing their normal Wednesdays anyway, but, you know, taking the cars off the trucks or getting them out of the air freight containers, uh, all that, you know, I'm sure they'll start their work again on, uh, well, would have started this morning, but um, on the Wednesday, but, um, you know, great to have a little bit of downtime for those people, uh, considering that they're going to be three weeks away from their family. Um, But yeah, it's going to be an interesting Grand Prix. As I say, 23.8 seconds for that pit stop loss. That's going to be incredible. Lewis Hamilton, 
Um, his uh, record-setting run of consecutive points finish is going to come to an end. Uh, it sits at 48 back to the British Grand Prix in 2018. So that is uh, another record that uh, doesn't get extended. I mean, he's got everything else anyway. You can't be too upset about that. Uh, but, of course, we've got um, another young Brazilian who's going to be making his Grand Prix debut uh, and with a very famous family name as well in Pietro Fittipaldi, the 32nd Brazilian to make an F1 start uh, and the first since Felipe Massa at the 2017 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix as well. So there's plenty to uh, to look at and to, to look forward to this weekend, um, considering all the announcements that have been happening this week and all that on the back of what happened at the uh, Grand Prix, the Bahrain Grand Prix last weekend. And, uh, well, let's get stuck into that. So let's get into the Bahrain Grand Prix. Plenty to talk about. Uh, not only what happened last weekend and, and needs sort of no uh, reintroduction, if you like, um, but also everything that's sort of happened since then as well with um, announcements from various drivers. So, uh, but just to quickly recap what happened across uh, across the weekend. Of course, Lewis Hamilton uh, got another win for him. Uh, he did get pole position as well. That will be his 98th. But it's interesting. He won't get to 100. I was thinking that was going to happen before. Before the end of the season, not now that he's not going to be driving this weekend for the Sakir Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, uh, second step of the podium. It hasn't happened often this year. He's always threatened, um, but he has finally uh, been able to to be so close to Hamilton. Although you know it was 1.2 seconds in the end, so it was reasonably close. And Alex Albon, there was you know if there was a guy who needed a good result. Uh, and and still needs to get a couple of good results in the final two races. It was him, and he started from fourth. He kept his nose clean and ended up on the podium. Uh, the big winners, really, I suppose, were McLaren. You know, fourth and fifth. Uh, Lando started ninth. Carlos started in fifteenth. Uh, they uh, kept it on the black stuff. Essentially, they kept their nose clean as well. Although Norris did have a, a, a tangle with one of the Alpha Tauris. I think it was Gasly on the opening lap uh, that knocked his uh, his wing. Uh, to the ground, so it was sparking a bit, but uh, because of what happened with Grosjean, he sort of got that changed, and there was no uh, major uh, sort of um, a penalty, if you like, uh, for him. So really, you know, McLaren, of course, they ended up um, clear in third position as well on the constructors by the end of the weekend, so they really were the big winners on the weekend. Gasly had a good race, Daniel Ricciardo, I think he'd be disappointed with seventh. We know that Bottas was with eighth, of course. Uh, Esteban Ocon got into the points, and not great for Ferrari either, although uh, considering where Charles Leclerc started, I suppose, uh, he ended up, uh, what, a couple of places ahead of where he was. He was finally out-qualified by his teammate Sebastian Vettel on the Saturday. That hasn't happened often this year, but he ended up in the final point scoring position. Uh, Danny Kvyat, of course, um, he was the one who initially everybody thought had uh, done something to cause the whole Grosjean uh, problem or the the accident, I should say. It turned out not to be. Um, Grosjean just didn't see him in his mirrors, but 11th for him. And George Russell, unfortunately, no points. Sebastian Vettel is the other one I wanted to mention. And, of course, then the second Ferrari down in 13th. But, um, yeah, the main talking point, of course, was what happened with Romain Grosjean. Want to bring in uh, James Underhay now. Um, James, you know, you were watching it live as well. Um, It it was astonishing to see. uh, I remember my first reaction when I saw the fireball at the back was, you know, this is definitely not good and I I wouldn't have been on my own. Yeah, John, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, excuse me, I think 
certainly the worst accident I personally have ever witnessed in Formula One. And, you know, I've been watching for a lot of years now. Um, even when I first saw the fireball, I'll be honest with you, you, because you don't associate cars, you know, exploding in that manner anymore. You know, we're not, we're not in the seventies, for example, anymore, where that used to happen mm. with the fuel tanks, obviously exposed uh, to, to more potential damage. I still, you know, at that point was thinking, well, surely he's, he's not part of that. Maybe that's just fuel that's spread across the track, but unfortunately he was. Um, and you're absolutely right. Obviously that, that, the usual kind of lap one jockeying for position, cars attacking, they're everywhere. There are cars off the circuit, you know, offline. And Roman, you know, as awful as the, the situation it was for him to go through, he really kind of inexplicably kind of moved right across the track into the path of Kibia. And I think um, Karun Chandok did an interesting piece after the accident saying that actually, if you bear in mind the field of vision that you yeah. have in a Formula One car from the mirrors, there's a very good chance that Roman couldn't have seen him. And the one thing I would mention as well, uh, which I haven't seen picked up in other uh, news outlets or on the commentary on the day with Sky, is that Roman was actually carrying some big speed at that point. And I think he was moving across in anticipation of making moves on the cars in front of him. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he felt that he was closing. There was a car off the track to the left, I think one of the Alfa Romeos. And by moving right, he was just going to slingshot past a few of those cars. Uh, so the, the split second decision, obviously, he had to make clearly was uh, not the best one. No, that's right, and that's it. I mean, it, it, you can understand that he his field of vision wasn't um, particularly good as it is in any Formula One car, uh, but it, it was quite a serious move to his right. And yes. you know, I think for a moment he's sort of maybe um, it was a moment of sort of. Um, thinking that he, he, here is a big opportunity and I want to take it. And, you know, driving for Haas this year hasn't been uh, seen many greater overtaking opportunities, obviously. And I think maybe he got a little bit overexcited and sort of has forgotten that, okay, I've got to be a little bit more careful than that because of, you know, what could potentially happen. And because it did look odd, but I think I can understand why he's done it. It was just um, a mistake and a misjudgment, really. Yes. And yeah, of course, yes. you know, you, you've got a clear caveat. There was nothing that he could have done either. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Kibia was minding his own business, quite frankly. Um, and, and look, ultimately, Romance made a mistake. Um, but, you know, it, you, you've got to make sure that you're making decisions in the heat of the moment, obviously, that aren't necessarily going to endanger others. And, of course, yourself. And, unfortunately, the moment that he clipped the front left-hand side of, uh, of Kibia's car, he was merely a passenger. Um, you know, the scary thing about this particular incident was you know, sheer force involved. Hmm. Um, impact speed of 137 miles an hour. You think about that. How often do you travel 100 miles an hour in a road car? Very, yeah. very rarely, if at all. Um, you know, add nearly another you know 40% on top of that. Um, the, the the 53G of deceleration. Um, I mean, look, terrifying, terrifying hmm. incident. How he got out alive with no broken bones, we'll never know. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 and it was great to see that you know he did, and you could see that it was obviously very serious. Not only because you saw the fireball, but because the you know, the TV directors kept any images of what was going on um, off the screens, which was the right thing to do, of course, until you know everybody knew that he was okay and that he got out yeah. fine. Um, and that was a, a you know you can completely understand that situation. Um, but um, what uh, I suppose I, I I've been really 
and I'm sort of jumping ahead a little bit here. You know, he's he's been released from Bahrain Hospital, and that's a great thing. And, you know, we give him, and he gets a lot of grief, doesn't he, Grosjean? He has in, in his career, but he's always got a smile on his face, and no matter what happens, he always um, has a good sense of humor about what's going on. And when I saw that video of him, that first video of him with his hands still in the bandages and sort of saying, yeah, you know, um, I'm okay and thanks for all the messages and whatever, you sort of feel a little bit guilty about ever criticising his driving, <laughs> don't you? I, um, yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you on that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a... Yeah, I'm pretty sensitive, uh, a big bear at heart. I think it's probably the nicest way to describe me. Um, yeah, we have given him a bit of grief on the, the Pitbox podcast, and I think for good reason at times, because you know, in the car, he can be a bit of a hothead. You know, his radio transmissions tend to be, you know, very accusational, and uh, he, he tends to, to make mistakes. Um, mm. But out of the car, he's clearly very well liked. Mm, I think yeah. that's uh, that's obvious. And um, you know what a what a fantastic sight to see him smiling and, and making light of the situation. Ultimately, he's laying in a hospital bed. He's got burns to his hands and his feet, uh, and yet he's still got a smile on his face and saying, "Listen, you know, I'm okay. I, I, I'm quite happy to suck the pain up because the the um, the alternative, quite frankly, doesn't you know bear thinking about." Mm. Um, I think you know the 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 key factors here that we are hopefully putting to bed now this theory about the halo people not liking the halo for aesthetic purposes i didn't like the halo from an aesthetic point of view john mm. um yeah it was never keen you know the drivers get in the car they take a risk and for a little while i did kind of feel that way when this introduction happened but the reality is it does and has now proven a couple of times to save lives or at least spare major injuries so let's put that one to to bed once and for all the halo is here to stay it's clearly not going anywhere, and it does an amazing job given the circumstances. Because were it not for the halo, the impact point, obviously the piercing of that barrier, quite clearly it would have been Roman's head doing the piercing of the barrier. So yeah. that's that's one thing. The second thing uh, is obviously his race suit. You know what incredible uh, times we live in. The technology that these companies, like in this particular case Alpine Stars, uh, can create a suit that can with uh, stand the the, the the inferno quite frankly that it did for as long as it did um incidentally this is a, a a new suit for this year it's heavier than before i think there are a few complaints from drivers back when they first started having to wear them because they're they're probably a bit hotter ironically mm, yeah. um given the circumstances and um you know but they, they are more fire resistant and for up to 20 or 25 seconds and actually if you look at the time that roman was in the car fighting to get out uh, and we've now, obviously, you know, with the benefit of knowing that he's safe and well, seen the images and how disturbing they were watching him kind of flail around. Um, he got out of the car with burns to his hands and feet. And interestingly, the only uh, kit that he was wearing, which were not up to the same level of fireproofing as the race suit, were his gloves and boots. Uh, uh, he even lost a boot in the accident yeah. as well. Uh, you know, God knows how that came off because their ankle boots are tight, they're velcroed, they're whatever they are. How that came off, we'll never know. But yeah, only burns to his hands and feet. Um, that suit did an incredible job, didn't it? It did. And you know what? The other thing, when you're looking at the static photos that uh, has and have been on websites and in the press, and you look at um, that one where you can see from you're looking sort of from the track side towards and through the barrier, and you can see that the the the, the cockpit of the car is sort of tilted and it's almost on its side. Yeah. But he actually jumped out on the far side of that barrier. And you think 
there wouldn't have been much of a gap between for him to get out through that. You know what I mean? That, that must yeah. have been incredibly scary. I mean, you know, he was in there, as you say, at least 20 seconds, if not longer. And there was a fireball there. We know that they have to be able to extract themselves, you know, loosen their seatbelts, get the steering wheel off within 10, 10 seconds. That's every, you know, every F1 driver has to do that. Um, and, and, but, you know, in those conditions and, and when it was almost, the cockpit, the open part of the cockpit was like it was tilted up against the barrier. It must yeah. have been a tight squeeze for him to to be able to get out. I'd, you know, it'd be really interesting to hear you know more detail of how he was able to do that because it looks like it, you know, it was only a couple of feet, if that. Yeah, I think um, I, you know, I'm really keen for him to maybe if if he can, he may, maybe he won't be able to, but if he can open up a little bit more about what really went on uh, in those moments because as you rightly point out the way the car was through the barrier mm. he got out the other side of the barrier and my concern my big concern watching it at the time was had he not um, been able to undo his belts had he been unconscious had he been stuck yet there wasn't a big gap for him to get out of the car the the guys that arrived on the scene obviously did a ridiculously good job um, you know literally running into the face of the fire quite simply but the, the, the extinguishers being used, for example, I don't think they were putting that fire out anytime soon. It's not like it immediately died down as soon as they aimed it at him. They saw him trying to get out of the car. They blast him with the extinguishers. They were not going to be able to get in there and drag mm. him out because no, no. the flames simply, they, they were too big. They were too powerful. The, the heat just alone would have stopped you from getting in there. So thank God he wasn't uh, out for the count because that mm. could have been a lot worse. Oh, absolutely, and you're you're dead right. I mean, you see those replays, and and the the extinguishers retard the, or they sort of move the fire and the flames a little bit, but they certainly don't put it out by any stretch. So, mm. you know, he's he's a lucky boy. Um, and but you know, it's just a nod to all the safety measures that you know people like, as we know, Sid Watkins and Charlie Whiting, and you know, all the way back to yeah. Jackie Stewart have put in place over years and years and years that that sort of incident or accident can happen, and yet you've got a guy who who pretty much walks away from it. Yeah, he's not going to be driving this weekend, but I really hope, I really hope that he can come back for the final race. It would, it would be an incredibly emotional um, weekend to see him in that race. I think not just for him, he'd obviously be completely emotional considering everything that's happened and knowing yeah. it's going to be his final race, but there would be a lot of tugging on the heartstrings and I'm a reasonably pragmatic and unemotional sort of guy. Um, yeah. But I think that for me would be, um, yeah, quite a sight and uh, quite moving. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's almost kind of a fairy tale send off really surviving that missing a race, of course, given the circumstances, mm. But he's a racing driver. Uh, he doesn't want to end his career like that. I mean, how he gets away with uh, getting that past uh, Mrs. Grosjean, I'm not sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to be in the car, uh, should he be fit enough, which I'm sure he will be, um, for that final race in Abu Dhabi. And it will be, without any shadow of a doubt, an emotional experience for him and uh, and a lot of the paddock, because literally only a, a week or two before that, it was... Um, you know, potentially curtains for him. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, moving on slightly, um, the news that Pietro Fittipaldi will replace him uh, at this week's uh, alternate Bahrain layout for the Sakia Grand Prix. Um, you know, it's going to be uh, great to see him get a chance and also the Fittipaldi name back on the grid. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, um, you know, it, it's a fantastically famous name. And of course, Mo uh, was you know huge at McLaren. Um, you know, won his championship there, and 
Uh, it's a great name to have, as you say, a famous name to have back on the grid. And he was the reserve driver. I was thinking that they may have gone with um, one of the ones for next year. But of course, you know, Fittipaldi is their reserve driver and it would be quite a slight to not actually, you know, give him that drive. Yeah, I totally agree, John. Um, you know, uh, the only thing I would say to that, to counter that, which is uh, Stoffel van Dorn's probably thinking the same thing now, uh, given the uh, the news uh, of uh, the, the Mercedes drive today, shall we say. Yeah, and of course, that was the other big news story, wasn't it? Absolutely huge that Lewis Hamilton won't be taking part this weekend. Uh, came back with a COVID uh, positive test. So he's not taking part and much speculation in the 24 hours following as to who was going to be replacing Lewis Hamilton. And of course, I, I mean, I, it, it's, I think it's great for George Russell. I can understand Stoffel Van Dorn. But then again, Van Dorn hasn't driven... Uh, in what now nearly two years in an F1 car, I know, you'd, you yeah. know he wouldn't have lost it that quickly. But um, but then again, neither would you know Fernando Alonso. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I think it's the right thing for Mercedes to do. He has been driving in the Williams, and I you know I work for Williams. I love Williams, but you know they have been in a bit of the doldrums for the last couple of years. So to give a young driver who's you know in their stable. Um, that opportunity, I think, why not? And particularly because, you know, everything's wrapped up. Um, it's uh, the only bigger fairy tale I thought, and I thought would have been better, I would love to have seen, uh, was Nico Hulkenberg doing it. Because can you imagine, you know, he's he's got the, the unenviable record of the man with the longest amount of, um, uh, sorry, with the, the most amount of Grand Prix races without getting on the podium. And to think that he could, you know, come in and get finally a podium uh, at Mercedes, I thought that would have been brilliant, but uh, completely understand mm. that they've gone for Russell. Yeah, no, I mean, it would have been let, that the Hulk things are, are kind of a everyone's desperate to see him get that podium. It wouldn't have been incredible if he had got the drive and then gone out and won on the weekend. But I think it's absolutely the right decision that they put George in the car. Um, I think he's been patient. I think he's been remarkably mature about the situation at Williams because yeah, that's not going to have been easy for him. Mm. Um, you know, he's seeing guys further up the grid, his best pals, one's in a, a Red Bull uh, in uh, in Alexander Albon, uh, and the other one is in a McLaren that's getting points and, and you know, gaining fantastic notoriety in Lando Norris. So, he, yeah, it, it is the right decision. Um, I really genuinely want him to go out and win the Grand Prix this weekend. Well, I mean, and, and of course, then that throws up a whole can you imagine and you know it throws up a whole lot of uh um questions and and uh, I'm trying to think of what the the best phrase is but you know if he goes out and wins that grand prix you know what do the lewis fans say what do the lewis haters say um as far as this whole you know it's the car it's not the car etc because if he can go out there and win that if he goes out there and win that race and i think that's a long shot anyway not because he hasn't got the talent but you know to put someone in a race car from one weekend, one massively different to the one he's been driving for the last two years, and sure. to have him to, to have him go out and win that race, I, I, I'd find it that way, I think would be incredible. Um, I can, I, I you know, I would say that Bottas is odds-on favourite, and you know, there's never been that much between Bottas and Lewis anyway. You know, two and a half, three tenths of a second most of the time is the difference in qualifying, um, but that's enough. That's what all you've got to do, and it's not like all that's all Lewis was doing. You know, yeah. but his best lap was always three-tenths or so faster than his teammate. And then when it was race conditions, he could just race off into the sunset because he had much better race craft. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I think Bottas would be on for the win. I, I'd, I'd love to see Russell do it. But, yeah, it throws up all sorts of questions, doesn't it? Should he be able to, to get a win um, in Lewis Hamilton's car? 
Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to see. I mean, the out the outburst will be huge, won't it? You know, <laughs> lots of lots of a told you so's. But look, we, we've got to we've got to remember George's George is a talented driver. Yeah. He's done. Yeah, you know, he's he's made that car do things and drag that car to positions it should not have been in this year. Um, he understands. Uh, the tyres, obviously the current compounds, etc., how they work with uh, the, the, this current um, breed of car as well. So I think he's the right person from a, um, uh, an experienced point of view to put in the car. He's a safe pair of hands. It's not like he makes huge mistakes all the time. Okay, obviously we, we had the episode in Imola, um, but that was pretty isolated for someone like George. So um, I think you're right in terms of Bottas. I think Bottas will have him covered. Uh, this weekend, I do think Valtteri will go out and uh, and win that race and uh, kind of assert his authority uh, outside of the Lewis being in the team. Um, but yeah, what a what a lovely opportunity for George to to finally get after the patience and the um, just the attitude that I think he's shown throughout the last. Uh, a few months. Yeah, and as you were saying earlier, you know, the fact that the guys that he has come through with, particularly Lando Norris, has been getting so many plaudits, you know, one, because of the way he's been driving and, um, you know, the amount of points he's scored and what he's doing at McLaren and the, the, the social media side of it. He's got all the attention, etc. And, you know, George, who has, you know, is just as good, if not better, than Lando. And he's having to sort of be all the way down the back of the grid and, and trundling around in the in the Williams. So, yeah, it's I don't think anybody could uh, could begrudge him that. And, of course, in his place, um, it's an interesting one that um, Williams have, have gone with Jack Aiken, although he is their reserve mm. driver, so I suppose it, it makes complete sense as well. Yeah, no, lovely to see Jack get an opportunity as well. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of paid his dues, I think, to, to have that opportunity. Um, no doubt over the moon and uh, uh, just just for him to do a full Grand Prix weekend will be a great experience as opposed to just, you know, FP1, for example, uh, just to feel what that's like. It's only going to spur him on more to to, to to get a drive more long term with uh, with a, a decent team in F1. Yeah, and, and of course, he'll be, he'll be uh, quite happy that he switched across from Renault uh, to Williams this year. Uh, I suppose initially he probably would have been thinking, oh, you know, the Renault's a quicker car, but um, I don't think he'll be thinking that now. And of course, he, he did have a run um, in free practice one. I think it was the Styrian Grand Prix, wasn't it? At the beginning, he got about uh, 35 laps in uh, back in July. Yep. So, um, but yeah, you know, and it's good to see these young guys coming through and getting that little bit of experience. Now, talking of that young guys getting experience a young fellow by the name of Fernando Alonso is a part of the young driver <laughs> test <laughs> you, you love a bit of Fernando just, we can't get away from Fernando he's not even racing again we're still talking about him uh, but he's going to be racing next year of course um, but it was really interesting wasn't it because and look there's a couple of things I wanted to I wanted to mention here because um, you know, normally it's Cyril Abitabul and Christian Horner who are who are sparring, but this time it was Abitabul and Andreas Seidel. Not that um, Andreas Seidel was doing any of the sparring, but uh, he Seidel was saying sort of with regards to Alonso because there was I think it was Racing Point and McLaren weren't particularly happy that Alonso was you know should be given the green light to 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 test at Abu Dhabi because he's mm. you know he's not he's not a junior by any stretch of the imagination. He's no spring chicken. Yeah, that's right. Um, but he, what Andre Seidel said was that, you know, in the rules it says that it cannot be drivers that have done a maximum of two Grand Prix. And, of course, Fernando's done plenty more than that. But then Abitable came back, and this is what he told to Autosport, um, was that, you know, it's the usual stuff of people playing games or little uh, playing any little game possible. Uh, but most teams are pragmatic. We need to have the FIA will be. The FIA will be. Renault does so much for young drivers. And I just wonder whether or not that was a little needle at McLaren because McLaren, 
McLaren and Racing Point, both of those two teams, don't have a reserve young driver, do they? No, there you go. That's definitely a little uh, French jab. Yes. I think we should call that one. And and it's and it is, we've come to expect it from uh, a bit of build as well, haven't we? So, but yeah, I I don't know. And the thing is that in the end, if the FIA are okay with it, and that's you no, know, they have said that they have the ability to to make that decision. Um, and that the test, because of everything that's changed, that the test sort of, in effect, has been opened up to drivers who didn't race last year. And, of course, Fernando is one of those. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, unusual conditions, I think, you know, fair enough. Um, but, and, and it's only, you know, these these cars for next year are going to be pretty much the same next year. I'm not sure how much you can really do to, to change too much on that Renault. No, it's a weird one. I mean, if you think about years gone by, you can... You know, Ferrari, for example, at Fiorano, they can, I'm pretty sure they can run last year's car, the year before that, and, you know, whatever, at, at Fiorano as and when they please. But it's obviously the current car that they can't run. Um, so it's not like, you know, Renault can can chuck Fernando in the current car somewhere private for a few days. Mm. Um, so this test is absolutely critical to him. Um, next year, you know, is he? A, I don't know. Is he able to 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 gain anything from driving last year's car at the moment? I think just getting getting him in the test. I, I'm personally all for it. I mean, you know, why wouldn't you be pushing for him to have that test? I know it's a bit farcical being called a young driver test and having him in the car, but um, I think it's perfectly acceptable for them to be pushing for that because he wants as many miles under his belt as possible. And I guess there's two ways to look at it from, from you know, teams like McLaren will potentially grumble about this because they're going to be fighting a lot closer with Renault next season than they will be, say, for example, with Mercedes. Um, you know, if, uh, if, if Fernando is jumping in a potentially championship winning car, I'm sure that the, the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull might also perk up a little bit and say, actually, well, is this within the spirit of the rules, etc. Um, you know, at the end of the day, he wants miles. Other teams know that he's going to come back and, uh, probably deliver. I think we can be fairly confident that he's going to do a pretty good job uh, if the car is there for him. So, you know, it, it is what it is. It's uh, As long as the FIA are on board, just it's going to happen, I think, isn't it? So. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the other, you know, amongst all the news stories that happened this week on the back of a, a you know, a huge news story of a, a weekend from last weekend in Bahrain was that Haas finally announced their seats. Um, and, of course, the, the good news is that Mick Schumacher is getting um, one of those seats. Nikita Mazepin is getting the other one. And mm-hmm. pretty much, um, you know, we expected Mick Schumacher, really. I mean, I know that um, I sort of got a, a bit of a tip about uh, Nikita Mazepin, but we always thought that Mick Schumacher was, was going to be driving one of those horses, didn't we? We did. We did. We've been talking about it for a long time. It's well-deserved. He still leads the GP2, or should I say the F2 championships. It's uh, uh, falling behind a couple of years there. The F2 Championship, yeah, leads, I think, 14-point lead going into the final round. Callum Eilat was the big loser, hmm. uh, really, sadly, in uh, in that situation, John. Um, you know, not getting a, a drive. Um, you know, dealt that news a couple of weeks ago by the sounds of it. He's known about it and had to keep quiet uh, until uh, other contracts were, were in place for, I guess, Mazapan and Mick. Um, but, you know, he dealt with it. He said, look, it is what it is. I've got a championship to go and win. Let's uh, let's try and nail that last round. Um, and he's only 14 points behind Mick. And we've seen this season in in uh, Formula 2 that the races can be very mixed in terms of the results. So he, he certainly has a chance uh, to go out and do that, at least in style, If he uh, even if he isn't going to get that F1 drive straight away. No, that's right. And um, 
the you know it, it's finally at least I suppose been decided. It's taken such a long time, hasn't it, for, the, for all yeah. the seats to be decided that it's all finally been put to bed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many times has Gunter Steiner been uh, asked the question uh, and? <laughs> quite frankly, not necessarily handled the answer very well as, uh, as well. I think we know Gunter to be a fairly uh, fairly black and white individual in terms of how he articulates himself, shall we say? Yes. Uh, you know, loves an F-bomb and even dropped one in uh, live transmission on uh, on Sunday after the Roman incident, but I think it was fairly understandable given the circumstances. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's been asked the question uh, plenty of times over the last few Grand Prix. Finally, we have our answer. Obviously, the Mazapan thing is interesting because uh, like we've talked about previously, Previously, I think there could be some uh, some input from his father there into the team. Um, but the Mick thing, you know, it's just great to see another Schumacher name back on back on the grid. Um, you know, Michael bless him, obviously not as uh, as we know him sadly anymore uh, because we don't see him because we know the circumstances surrounding him. No doubt, whatever uh, state Michael is currently in, let's hope that it, it brought a little smile hmm. and maybe even a little tear to his eye because um, he'll be very proud of Mick and his achievements. Yeah, and you know he definitely deserves the shot. I think um, yeah. you know he's going to be on the grid, you know, for a, for a number of years, uh, young Mick Schumacher. Sure, he will be. Um, but uh, and of course, the, now let's uh, you know just quickly take a look at this weekend. Of course, the Sakir Grand Prix, uh, massively different layout um, with the outer circuit. I mean, it, we're actually quite lucky with Bahrain, aren't we? Because they had uh, that outer circuit had been graded as Formula One standard, so yeah. it, it, you know it, it's it's a great um, solution to the, the the COVID problem of you know everybody being able to sort of stay where they are and and you know. You, you see these, um, you know, a lot of the mechanics and the engineers, and and particularly the mechanics, they have, you know, some quite long hours and long trips to do, and to have them to be able to have a little bit of time off, I'm sure they would have preferred to have been with their families. But you know, soaking up a bit of sunshine, I've seen various um, shots on social media of uh, various people just being able to relax in the pools and and have a bit of time. Um, and I think you know they absolutely 100% deserve that. And oh, for sure. not have to for have sure. that pack up. And even when they go to Abu Dhabi, it's not like it's it's that far away. So it, it's nice and handy for them to be so close and to not have an absolute uh, ball breaker of the final three races. No, absolutely. Good on them as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know better than I do that those guys work, uh, guys and girls work very, very hard. They are uh, on tour. You know, they've got long journeys. They've got lots of work, both physical and uh, intense situations um you know if they get a couple of days where they get to lay around in the sun and and just enjoy a bit of peace and quiet certainly after the year that they've had you know traveling around in the bubble etc um you know who can blame them make the most of it they deserve it no doubt and 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 uh, you know on the subject of covid of course the good news is with this you know the vaccine now at least in the uk and that's getting rolled out and they're saying that maybe by you know mid 2021 everything will be sort of reasonably back to normal we look at, say, the Australian Grand Prix because the calendar has been um, released. Uh, Australia is going to kick it off again on the uh, 2021st of March. And there's some interesting hurdles for F1 to jump to get into Australia. It's one of the uh, one of the, um, the tighter or more difficult places to get into. I think yeah. Ghana, South Africa, Australia. I can't remember there's one other I was talking to someone about. And... Um, it's going to be interesting to see how F1 can deal with that because we know Australia is pretty much back to being pretty much normal. You know, they've had 52,000 people at a State of Origin Rugby League game there yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Uh, people are back at the cricket. There's the Australia-India series, which is happening at the moment. So, you know, Australia's 
going to be a, a good opportunity to have a, a proper race with guests. There may not be international guests. I get the feeling that may not be the case. But to be able to get all the, the, the team personnel in uh, from different parts of the world into Australia without having to do that 14-day quarantine, if you don't know, and I certainly mm. do because I've been, <laughs> I've been looking sound, to go yeah, back home. Say, you, you sound like you speak from experience, I've John. got very <laughs> much, I've been keeping a very close eye on it. Um, yeah, so to get into Australia, you need to do a 14-day quarantine and it's not at your own house or any house. You have to do it at a hotel that you pay for. And yes. of course, that's quite limiting. And so they've actually, and I think they've actually restricted the amount of um, uh, people that can come in per week as well, um, and have done since April or May or something like that. So to see how F1 is able to get around that, not get around it, but to negotiate it, because obviously they well, they won't get around it. The government won't um, won't give them that sort of uh, uh, latitude, but you know whether they have to be in bubbles or whether there's tests or whether the teams go out and buy bulk vaccines goodness knows what but at least hopefully next uh, next year the australian grand prix may be a, a grand prix with fans which will be great to see yeah i, th- I think uh, i think we all need that don't we and yeah. um from from what is being talked about at the moment 2021 um you know it's difficult to see a, a total end to covid but i think it's looking a lot more normal that's yeah. the the nice thing you know the calendar will be you know, especially after the work that's gone in this year it's quite astonishing we, we, you know that, that they've had as many races we didn't i didn't think there was going to be a grand prix season to really mm. you know to shout and talk about this year at one point they're talking about you know what six to ten races or something and uh, that wouldn't have been a Grand Prix season. At least now, I think, regardless of the result, at least you feel like we've had a season where there's been a worthy championship, um, you know, justifiable. So, yeah, um, I, I think things are going to be a little bit different this year. Plus, they've obviously now got the experience of travelling in the bubbles, etc. This year, it was all new to the, to all the teams having to get used to the rules and the regs and staying in hotels for certain periods of time, etc. I think, you know, going in a second time, Formula One tends to do things very well, uh, very organised, very prepared, um, and, and and next year it should be a lot easier. I think we'll have a much more normal championship, hopefully. Yeah, certainly looking forward to that also. Uh, all right, mate. Well, uh, looking forward to catching up with you again uh, post the Sakir Grand Prix. Um, it'll be interesting. No Lewis Hamilton. And, of course, what can George Russell do in that Mercedes? I really want him to... It'll be lovely to see him up on the podium. I mean, just it's going to be really interesting to see. There's so many themes now um, that arrive at this uh, at this Grand Prix because of what's happened with Lewis Hamilton and of course uh, you know Pietro Fittipaldi trying to fit into uh, that uh, Haas seat. So um, look forward to discussing that uh, next week once the race is done and dusted. Yeah, for sure. I wish all three of those guys, uh, Jack Aitken, obviously George yeah. and Pietro, the very best of luck this weekend because uh, it will be mega exciting for those guys, obviously, to, to to have a slight change of scenery, obviously, George in particular. Um, and I really hope they do have a, a nice clean weekend uh, and then obviously look forward to uh, the, the final round of the year. Yeah, it's incredible to think that that's where we are. Two more races to go. We're into December. It's going to be the latest ever F1 season. Still hoping against hope that we're going to see lots of tinsel, trees all that sort of stuff, including the Santa hats. I'm sure they've taken them. Surely they've taken them. thing to do, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, just two more races to go. I hope you've enjoyed the Pitbox podcast. Uh, give us a like, a subscribe, no matter where you get your podcasts from. Uh, we're on Spotify now as well. But yeah, we're just two more, two more episodes to go before the uh, end of the season. Quite incredible how fast it has gone. But I hope you have enjoyed it and look forward to doing it again with you next week on the Pitbox podcast. <laughs>